Hi, it's GP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Democrats are trying awfully hard to keep less secure means of voting legal. This and many other great things on this edition of the Liberty Relearn podcast. Hi everybody and welcome to the show before we talk about uh, voting habits in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I want to go back briefly to talk about uh, Cocaine Gate as it is called. I like to call it that. You just pick a word that you don't like. Scandal and add gate to the end of it and then voila. Everybody knows that you're talking about a scandal. And so Cocaine Gate is exactly that because it is a scandal um, for more than just the obvious reason that one should not be bringing cocaine into the White House. Not a good idea. Uh, illegal, of course, and also not good for you, as I understand it. So, not a good thing that there was a cocaine, uh, well, that there was cocaine in the White House. Even worse was that there's at least one, we can assume, cocaine user in the White House. And that's the problem. I know I talked about this in earlier podcasts. And so, if you want to, uh, please go back, um, I did a video on just the cocaine gate part of it, so there's no problem. Uh, I'll sit here and wait for you patiently to listen to the video, watch the video, and then come back so that you'll know what I've uh, talked about before with regards to cocaine gate. Okay, you're back. All right, so now that you know my feelings on cocaine gate, um... Let me just elaborate a little bit more, if I may. Um, Because I see, you know, even though the story, there hasn't been any uh, advances in the story um, since the last time I talked about it last week. um, That's sort of just the problem, isn't it? That there hasn't been any advances because apparently the Secret Service just gave up on trying to find whose cocaine it was. Um, so now, um, there's an article in Just the News, and it is by Nicholas Balsey, okay, um, it says, Secret Service vet on White House cocaine, quote, somebody's stopping this from being thoroughly investigated. And that's the, the part that really bothers me, as I mentioned Um, There's the obvious part that, you know, cocaine in the White House implies necessarily a cocaine user inside the White House. And we know there's one, at least one uh, documented cocaine user uh, whose name shall remain Hunter. And, but um, it's disturbing to know that maybe it's someone else. Someone who had actual power within the White House, who um, who can actually 
work for the government who's actually being paid by our tax dollars. Um, so that's a scary thought. Um, but besides that simple fact, um, you have the scandal of the investigation, or lack thereof, uh, itself. And I think that in and of itself is a scandal. So maybe, I don't know, lack of cocaine investigation gate. Well, somebody can coin that term or something like that. We'll work on it. But anyhow, uh, again, we have this story in just the news. Uh, Secret Service vet on White House cocaine. Somebody's stopping this from being thoroughly investigated. If you're not going to interview them, then all 500 people should never be allowed back in the White House again because they're all suspects the former supervisory special agent says. And so that that makes sense. if Because you still have a cocaine user, um, apparently, in, inside the White House. So maybe just for the sake of, I don't know, national security, you might want to find who this is. You know, they might, you know, you know, because that person, after all, might have, I don't know, he might be uh, in an extortable or blackmailable position over this cocaine, he or she. Um, so I think it's kind of important. And then you've, um, you've narrowed down the list to 500 people. I don't think the list is really that long. That's just me. Uh, my intuition says, well, I mean, there's one person that comes immediately to mind, of course. But really, um, the, if you look at who would have the easiest time of bringing this cocaine in the White House, it would have to be someone who doesn't have to go through all the security checks like everybody else. And that's a very small universe of people. And... So, and we're talking about the cocaine user, and then because the cocaine user and the person who brought the cocaine in the White House might be two different people, so we can keep that in mind too. But we we can assume, even we don't know, I think it's safe to assume that there is a cocaine user in the White House, and that is for many reasons that uh, shouldn't have to go into um, probably a good thing. Um, I think one of the things is, I think they know, and so the, the question would be, is this person a security risk? Can this person be blackmailed or extorted over their use of cocaine? And the interesting thing is, what if it's somebody who's already corrupt, who's already has a history of corruption and who's already blackmailed? in a blackmail position and really the finding of this cocaine really doesn't make the case any worse for this person and so maybe under that rationale under that reasoning secret service is fine it's like we think we know whose it is um that person is already a security risk this person would never ever 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 get a security clearance um, for like the military or any of the federal agencies because of their record and because of their quite clear um, 
blackmail a bull uh, profile and so that could be what what's going on in their minds that's their rationale um i think it's maybe faulty a little bit because you still have that security risk again if you say well yeah um this person like say assume that they they think believe it's hunter or know it's hunter um well we already know he's a security risk right we already know um that he's in a very position where he could be blackmailed because of uh his laptop and because of the things on his laptop not the least of which is uh indications of drug use but there's also indications of bribery and influence peddling too that could also uh, implicate his father and other family members so this person's already pretty much a 10 out of 10 as far as you know in a bad position for blackmail and so um the rationale may be well we can't make anything worse you know from this so we will just leave it alone now if they believed it was somebody else then that would be pretty important too if, if the clues were pointed to somebody else like say some staffer or something like that um they would certainly want to know that because they would want to know again his susceptibility or his or her susceptibility to things like blackmail and extortion and so i think that would be very important um, one would imagine uh for the secret service and their duty to protect the country i mean obviously they're protecting the people inside the white house or protectees um but they're also have a service a duty to their country to protect their country too part of that would be presumably to see if there's anybody in some sort of extortable position um so we're going to uh just continue on here with the article a security expert who worked with the secret service for over 20 years says he's surprised the agency is closing the investigation into how cocaine was found at quote one of the most secure buildings in the world without identifying any suspects in briefing congress earlier this month about the july 4th weekend discovery at the white house the agency said it did not conduct interviews as part of its internal investigation citing the roughly 500 potential suspects and that it planned to close the probe into in the coming week so yeah i mean you know there's more and you know we, we we just might as well give up if there's more than like five people we have to interview you know we can't do that we can't possibly do that so we're just going to give up um somehow that doesn't sound like the secret service and I, and I think this person who's commenting um would support that so there must be some pressure coming from above on the secret service so let's read more and see what this person has to say um quote i'm surprised because we're talking about agents who are extremely intelligent dedicated and exceptional criminal investigators charles marino a former supervisory special agent told just the news last week if you tell them to go out and 
get to the end of something, that's exactly what they're going to do. He also said, you've got a designated time frame, you've got the holiday in which this occurred, we're fairly certain that this item did not linger for a long period of time in the West Wing based on the security measures that we know are in place in terms of checking on that area and conducting sweeps. He also posed the question, why is this being treated as if this dime bag or eight ball of cocaine was found on a street corner in a major city? And why isn't it being treated that this is found, this was found in the White House? And also, if you didn't think it was a threat or could be a threat, why was the hazmat team called? Now, obviously, the answer to that last portion of the question is because they didn't know what that white powder was. Could have been anthrax, could have been some other agent. Luckily, it was just cocaine. Um, but other than that, I think that the, the, the rhetorical question here is spot on. You know, why does it make a little bit more of a difference um, that it was found in the White House and not on some street corner or some street somewhere? Um, he said, all 500, 600 people who entered the White House during the specified time frame are potential suspects and shouldn't be allowed back into the White House if federal investigators aren't going to interview them. Uh, quote, it could have been a staff member or a family member. Look, when you don't find a suspect, that means that all 500, 600 people that popped up during this time frame all remain suspects, doesn't it? So, if that is the case, how are you not interviewing people? I want to see the investigation be handled the way it deserves to be handled. And here, here. Um, I don't think the investigation has been handled the way it deserves to be handled uh, for the various reasons I've stated. You know, not the least of which you probably have a cocaine user in the White House, and um, that alone should be enough to um, make you just keep with the, the investigation until you find your suspect, or you eliminate all of the suspects, and you're just, you know, until you tell me you've uh, uh, interviewed 500 to 600 people who were on the premises during the time frame in question, you, you should not be telling me that you've completed your your um, investigation. Your, your investigation is not completed. Uh, you just decided to give up on it. Um, Marino is also argued there is no, quote, forcing mechanism that would give the Secret Service any leads on whose cocaine was found. I think the forcing mechanism has to be, look, you senior staff member, you junior staff member who took a family tour through here, everybody don't come back. I mean, what choice do you have? Somebody is stopping this from being thoroughly investigated. He also said the Secret Service is supposed to be an, quote, independent law enforcement agency. But 
the case being closed so quickly creates the impression that political influence was involved. And yeah, I mean, what other conclusion are we to make, particularly in the light of what's going on with like FBI and the DOJ and all that, uh, particularly in regards to Trump? Uh, what are we to make to make of this? Uh, it seems like there's a pattern in federal law enforcement of protecting uh, the Bidens at any cost. That seems to be their primary mission, um, or one of their primary uh, motivators. So, you know, what are what else are we supposed to think, given everything else that's happened? So, I think he's correct there also. Um, he further argued that Secret Service directors are political appointees, but the director posts are career positions, which should make them removed from the overall politics of the position, or at least it's supposed to give that appearance. Marino didn't single out uh, director Kimberly Cheadle, but said political influence is only as effective as a particular leader will let it be. If you have a leader that is going to allow themselves to be influenced, again, not saying that it happened here, then yes, you can go down a very dark road. And we've seen other leaders of other agencies go down that dark road. You know, you had um, James Comey, you had Clapper, arguably um, Ray now seems to have gone down that dark road. Uh, you know, certainly uh, Garland seems to be going down that road of corruption. And some of these people had once had, you know, pretty impeccable credentials, and now they've all been tarnished with this. And so that's kind of where it is. Sadly, um, there has been no advancement in investigation because there is no more investigation. And I think that there's a lot of pressure to sweep this incident under the rug. Um, so we don't know what's going on. Um, we could speculate, but that would all, um, that would be just, you know, speculation. You know, we could speculate about Hunter. We could speculate about some other member of the family. We could speculate about, um, Vice President Harris. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's all speculation. Now, some of that speculation has a little bit more history and proof, I guess, behind it um, to to make it more solidified. But still, it is just um, speculation. So, again, one wonders why, indeed, the um, investigation was cut short. Because you still have the problem of a coke user, an illegal drug user, in the White House. And that person is, well, at very least, susceptible for to uh, lapses in judgment. You don't want to have that in the White House, no way. And that person can be blackmailed and say, I, I, know, I have pictures of you... Pl- 
uh, putting that cocaine there, and if you don't give me this, I'll let that picture go. Um, so, you know, again, one wonders what is going on. And the, see, the fact that the FBI has done their, themselves any favor with Ray's um, uh, denials of any, you know, politicization of the, the Trump um, persecution, for lack of a better word, um, and Garland uh, saying the same thing. Now, he's contradicting. Uh, he and... Um, yeah, he's contradicting what the IRS, IRS whistleblowers are saying. So they both cannot be correct. Um, so you have that. And you have a very low level of trust in uh, federal law enforcement nowadays, particularly with the FBI. And it would be a shame to have that lack of trust also spread to the Secret Service because nobody benefits from that if we don't have trust in the Secret Service. So hopefully they will reopen this investigation because um, someone is telling them, I think, not to interview persons or saying that certain people are, are off limits. And I guess, you know, if you're going to make uh, enough people off limits for investigation, then, you know, you might as well just not investigate. I mean, you know, so it leaves you with a real problem. You know, you have to be able to eliminate everybody, really, before you can really say that you've done everything you can with regards to this investigation. So that's where we are at with regards to uh, that situation. All right, so now I want to talk about Democrats in Wisconsin. Well, Democrats in particular, but um, they're trying really hard to uh, perpetuate a less secure method of balloting. I'm talking about uh, absentee balloting um, within that state. And so there is another article in Justin News. And this one by Charlotte Hazard. Um, it's called Wisconsin Democrats File Lawsuit to Overturn, Overturn State Supreme Court Ruling on Absentee Ballot. The lawsuit was filed on July 20th by the Elias Law Group. I'm sure they're very reputable. I'm sure they never took on a case, um, a bad case for less than reputable people. Anyhow, <clears throat> uh, it says, Democrats in Wisconsin have filed a lawsuit to overturn the state Supreme Court's decision and allow voters to return absentee ballots in drop boxes. Uh, drop boxes, of course, uh, people dropping off ballots in drop boxes was the subject of the Dinesh D'Souza 2000 Mules, which was covered on this program. So please go back to the catalog, find an episode, and watch it. Or read the article I wrote on it um, last year sometime. Anyhow, um, the lawsuit was filed on Thursday by the Elias Law Group, 
The attorneys argue that the ban upheld by Wisconsin Supreme Court burdens the right to vote and makes voters depend on the Postal Service's, quote, unsecured mailboxes. <laughs> so that is uh, laughable. Um, unsecured uh, mailbox. First of all, it is a federal offense to take something that's not yours out of a post office box or out of a mailbox unless you're a postal employee or unless you have permission from the owner of that box to, to take something out. So it's already a federal offense. So, and we know that I know I don't know specifically about Wisconsin, but I know if you watch the uh, movie 2000 Mules, you know that a lot of these boxes were went unmonitored. Um, and so that was one of the problem is you we know that people went to these drop boxes, but we didn't have video of them. And so that made it uh, Dinesh's case um, a little bit harder to prove. But it, you know, so, you know, you're more likely to have, I don't know, in the age of ring doorbells, you probably have more monitoring of your uh, post box, your, your mailbox, than of a drop box. Because that was just a problem with the drop boxes, as I mentioned, is that they weren't being properly monitored. Now, I don't know the case specifically in Wisconsin, but I know in other states, that was a big problem. <clears throat> um, previous campaign cycles have put a much-needed spotlight on the blatant attempts to use restricted address to access to absentee voting as a means of voter suppression. Anissa McMillan, a plaintiff in the lawsuit, wrote in a press release. Alright, so I'm going to read that part again. Previous campaign cycles have put much, a much-needed spotlight on the blatant attempts to use restricted access to absentee voting as a means of voter suppression. Um, what I think she means is cheater suppression or fraud suppression because no one's being suppressed through the absentee voter um, access. You know, that was never a problem before. It's been around for, for basically forever. Um, some sort of absentee ballot's never been a pro problem before. Then all of a sudden, it was a problem back in 2020. Um, so you know, when they say previous campaign cycles, um, they're talking about 20, 2020 and 2022. So they're talking about exactly two, not exactly a, a huge precedent to go by. Um, and it's like, no, no one, no one, no voter is being suppressed. I'm sorry. You can go to vote. Uh, at the polls on election day. And if you know you can't make it to the polls, you can put your ballot into your mailbox or into a post box uh, and be secured in uh, taking it. And last I checked, there's no lack 
of uh, post, you know, either mailboxes, either personal or privately owned or, or what are owned by the post office. There's no shortage of uh, mailboxes, okay? So we can stop them right there. What do you mean that suppresses access? You, you've always had access. Uh, sh show me somebody who doesn't have access to a mailbox, please. Okay, so no, I'm not, I'm not buying that. Um, and so she goes on to say, uh, quote, as a result of this, vulnerable communities, including people of color, face extraordinary barriers to casting their ballots, she added. What, what are those barriers? What, what, what is she talking about here? that black people don't have the wherewithal to cast an absentee ballot or showing up at the polling place on election day. Um, so what exactly are these, you know, extraordinary uh, barriers? Um, we hope this legal effort will bring relief to Wisconsin voters while expanding access to the ballot for every eligible voter in the state. Uh, yeah, it's funny you mention it. Every eligible voter in the state, I'm pretty sure, already has access. They've always had access to the ballot. Um, if you know you can't be um, to the ballot place on election day for whatever reason, you know, you're going to be out of town, you're going to be out of the state or out of the country on that day, you have, you know, it's already been a uh, um, absentee ballot system and as far as I know no one's complained about it before and say hey you know we need more absentee ballots people who are leaving the state on election day um, are being suppressed I don't think there was any problem with that but this is a kind of a solution in search of a problem I think is what you know, if they're being honest, is is what actually happened. So you're gonna you know bring relief to Wisconsin voters while expanding access to the ballot for every eligible voter in the state. Um, well, that's your problem, isn't it? Um, if we could be sure that it was only eligible voters, and only the eligible voters casting that ballot, well, first first of all, the best way to do that is showing up on the election polling place that way there's one person enters one person enters the voting booth one person exits one ballot is cast and all the the it's possible that all the numbers match up and everything is fine but when you get in to uh, vote by mail which is really what they're talking about they're not really talking about absentee ballots they're talking about votes by mail this is these are people who are going to be in town you know these are ballots uh first of all who's making the ballots how many ballots are there um that that's an issue that still remains unresolved to this day uh with regards to some of the elections out there is that the number of ballots allegedly don't quite uh, match the number of eligible voters. And so that's the problem. Um, 
I said, if, if we really thought it was every eligible voter and nobody else, then maybe that wouldn't be a problem. But it just seems that um, there's something more to it. And because they, they, first of all, you know, when you're talking about absentee ballots, it's supposed to be people who cannot go to the polling place on election day. That's supposed to be who it is. And I think the idea is that if you make it easier, you overwhelm the system. And then you can have things like ballots being accepted the day after election day and being counted uh, that weren't even received on election day. And so I think what they're trying to do, I think part of their strategy is to overwhelm the system. It's harder for these ballots to be checked, of course, you know, you're matching the signatures and are the signatures, in fact, matching, you know, do you have the infrastructure in, in place for that? And a lot of us just are not sure that that is the case. Um, so the most secure way to ensure um, accurate ballot counts and, you know, um, no fraud or minimum of voter fraud is to have uh, election day voting on election day, um, in-person voting. That is the best way, bar none, of uh, preventing things like voter voter fraud. I mean, unless you're just going to mess with the machines, and that's a whole other can of worms, which they also haven't accurately um, addressed to the satisfaction of many of us. But sticking on the subject of mail-in balloting, um, I think that's their aim. Their aim is, uh, it, first of all, it's easier for ballot harvesters to collect. Um, you, you know, you go to like an old folks home, you canvas the old folks home, and you suggest you help them uh, fill out their ballot. Um, and we don't know, and of course, it's possible to have many many ballots sent to the same address that's been a problem before in certain places you have uh, people who receiving ballots that aren't in their household and but that is all that stuff is allowed and the only reason really that you would want more mail and ballots is to make it easier to commit voter fraud that's the only reason it has nothing to do with access everybody already had access that was not the problem there was nobody prior to 2020 screaming about they didn't have access to the polls okay it's just when the democrats uh discovered and perfected the art of ballot harvesting then it became important for for uh uh mail-in balloting to to be allowed and making it as loose as possible, making the, the uh, time frames as, wi as wide as possible, as long as possible. You know, voting day is turned into voting month pretty much in some places. And it's even been allowed, um, allegedly, that ballots that were received after the cutoff period were counted. And that's a problem. And so I think that's... The, the problem. Um, so, and who are you trying to get um, 
with these ballots, um, you know, you're, you're targeting the elderly and mainly when you're canvassing the, the old folks homes and such, you know, that seems to me like someone's exploiting groups of people, um, rather than helping them. That's just my take on it. But you see the Democrats are, I mean, the main takeaway is like what, what I let off with in the end is the Democrats are fighting really hard for less secure means of receiving uh, ballots and voting. Less reliable and more fraudulent, susceptible uh, means of voting. And so why would you want to do that unless you were planning on on committing fraud? Why would you insist on less secure balloting measures unless you were planning on gaming or, or actually cheating the system? Why would you be so for that? And another part of their argument is, you know, I would think it pretty insulting, right? You, you're in this group and, you know, you know, you're singled out and imagine, um, you're part of a group that's been singled out because it's being supposed that you don't have the wherewithal or as a group, your group doesn't have a wherewithal, the same wherewithal as, uh, any other group to, uh, go to the polling place and put in a ballot or do a legitimate um, absentee ballot if you're not going to be in town on election day. You know, you know I think that would, I think that is uh, what you call the soft bigotry of low expectations. Is that you, know, you single out this group and you say, well, these people over here well, you see, they're not as capable as other groups of actually showing up at a polling place or actually uh, on their own putting in a ballot. Um, and so they need, you know, X, Y, and Z extra to help them. Um, I think that's, that's a pretty condescending way of looking at uh, certain groups of people you know, minorities, certain minorities, um, and, you know, no one, you know, it's funny, it's only the uh, Democrat voting minorities that they're worried about. Um, you know, I don't think they're particularly worried about uh, the Asian community not voting or the immigrant community not voting uh, per se. And so it's interesting that they, in their mind, have singled out and they've decided that one group is less capable of doing something than any other group is. Um, so that is pretty, I would say, insulting and condescending on their part. And pretty patronizing, I guess, is also another way of putting at it. Um, so either way you look at it... Um, it's a patronizing attitude that you have to minority groups and you want for some reason to go with a less secure method of, of balloting where there's more, you know, cause you have to understand that the more hands that the ballot passes through that each pair of hands that 
that ballot uh, passes through is another opportunity for fraud. And so the more links you can put into that chain, the harder it is to control of what happens to that ballot from beginning to end. And so that that's the problem right there with mail-in balloting and relying on mail-in balloting in particular is it just adds more hands that um are are accountable you know and despite what they say um i'm gonna go out on them and say that wisconsin doesn't have a particular particularly um you know they don't have they have a corner to market on um ballot box security or, or drop box security and it's also you know funny how uh, all these bo drop boxes you know they're they tend to be in the neighborhood where that demo that votes democrats so yeah of course you're going to want as many uh ballot boxes as you can in the, those neighborhoods um which is the problem with what you know so-called zucker box you know they they targeted they they laser targeted the placement of these boxes into predominantly democrat neighborhoods which kind of um gets into the area of you know electioneering and election interference when that that's you know you you're you're um, subcontracting out what should be a state or local or federal activity to a private contractor in some cases you know you have you know these ballot harvesters you know you, why do you have a uh, such thing as a professional ballot harvester there should be no such thing um, because of the obvious problem of corruption you know you know, the more ballots that you're paid to collect, guess what? <laughs> People are going to find a way to get their their hands on more ballots, whether they're legal or not. They know they're going to be paid for them, right? So that is a problem there. So you have the, the two, two, two problems. And of course, this, this is Wisconsin. But this is another place, obviously, across the country as well. You have the condescending, patronizing notion that certain people are less able than other people to fill out a ballot and uh, either put it in their own mailbox, bring it to the post office, or go to the, the ballot placing, the ballot per, uh, place in person themselves. And so right there, you have a problem. It seems to be unique to one group of people. Um, the Democrats uh, have this that attitude, and then it's also the Democrats that are pushing this less secure uh, means of putting in ballots of having elections. And so you do with it what you will. I think um, I think this Supreme Court challenge should be upheld um particularly if it's backed by the wisconsin legislature i don't know didn't mention really too much about what the legislature had to say but as long as if it's the wisconsin legislature is down with it then 
I don't see any meaningful challenge being made to this rule. You cannot rule um, that the way it's been done you know, for generations in the past and has only changed in the past four years is now all of a sudden unsuitable. You know, you, it's hard to make that argument. Um, so the Democrats, um, just in review, they don't trust certain minority groups to apparently be able to file to vote like everybody else. And they are for uh, less secure methods of balloting and invite more and greater ways um, of cheating. And so that's what I have for you this week. So thank you for watching and or listening. And so just one more thing before I go, one more item. Of course, uh, you probably heard, you may have read or heard or seen that uh, President Trump, former President Trump, is probably going to be indicted on some, I don't know, some specious charges, something to do with... Um, racketeering or something like that. They're, they're, they're trying to form the case that he was the mastermind of January 6th, the riots at January 6th. And so two things they need to do, the Democrats, uh, they need to establish they need and reinforce the notion that January 6th was an insurrection. And by doing that, they can invoke the Insurrection Act and the 14th Amendment, which they can use for, to keep uh, Trump from running. Now, it's funny because they, they will tell you in public that, oh, we're not afraid of Trump. We're going to beat Trump. No problem. Our polling shows that. Then why are they trying so hard to keep Trump from running if they, they're so sure that they can beat them, beat him? So that's, uh, worth exploring something we'll probably, I'm sure, uh, in the coming months, in the next year, um, we'll go over more and more as both the uh, election and the uh, coinciding uh, criminal cases and indictments all, all happen and start to mesh together in the election season. So that is something that we can look forward to talking a little bit more in the future. <clears throat> So, but in the meantime, uh, and so I want to thank everybody for watching and or listening to the Liberty Relearn podcast. Hope you got a little bit out of it. Hope you, you have a little bit more insight than you did before listening to this. That's the whole point. Um, so thank you for watching and or listening and please uh follow lr at lr podcast on getter and liberty relearned on facebook and liberty relearned.com online and please like and subscribe of course and until next time stay healthy happy and free